Today is January 28th. On this day in history, January 28th, 1581, young King James VI placed his royal signature on the Second Scottish Confession of Faith. Fearful of Roman Catholic influences on the young king and their country, the advisors of James VI urged this action. At the request of the king himself, a minister from Edinburgh wrote the confession. Now, the second confession was never meant to supplant the first Scottish Confession of Faith, written by John Knox, which had been adopted by the Scottish Parliament in the year 1560. The second confession of faith made a promise to God that the people of Scotland would defend their country, their king, and their gospel. It was a national confession, declaring their unified determination to stand against Roman Catholicism. The Second Scottish Confession is also referred to as the Negative Confession, revealing it had a different aim than the First Scottish Confession. The Second Scottish Confession declared what the Church of Scotland was against, rather than what the Church of Scotland endorsed, regarding particular doctrines and applications of those doctrines within the Kirk. Scotland's work in building a reformed national church, therefore, was based upon the principle of protection. They wanted to protect truth. They wanted to protect orthodoxy. They wanted to protect generations to come from falling into doctrinal error. They were simply trying to change the Kirk, one local church at a time. Ironically, this resulted in the world being changed, as the Scots stand for truth had worldwide implications for the Reformed faith leading on into our own day. They were protecting their country, their heritage, and their doctrine, but it wasn't really their doctrine. They had inherited their doctrine from Calvin in Geneva, and Calvin would be appalled that anybody would think it was his doctrine. He was part of the Reformation, which was a back-to-the-Bible movement through and through. By 1581, Scotland had become the first nation where Calvinistic doctrine and worship had been instituted on any sort of uninterrupted mass scale. The Reformation began in the Kirk itself, as men in the 16th century, led by John Knox, look to the continental reformers like Calvin, Bucer, and Luther for theological and ecclesiastical direction in order to see Scotland protected from Roman Catholic influences. The result was the widespread adoption of doctrine and liturgy mirroring that of Calvin's in Geneva within the Church of Scotland. The Reformed movement was by no means monolithic. This is one of the reasons you see various confessions being written in various cities and countries from around the globe. The Reformation was indeed global, and therefore led to a global blessing of God's true gospel spreading to different cultures and contexts where truth needed reaffirmed in language relevant to the people. Although Reformed confessionalism has different streams and emphases when observed collectively, it nevertheless holds to the essential matters of true salvation, pure worship, and holy living. One major test of fellowship among Reformed brethren is not whether they agree with every jot and tittle of a particular confession, but whether they hold to what is commonly called the three forms of unity, seen in the Canons of Dort, the Belgic Confession, and the Heidelberg Catechism. All three were written in different contexts with different authors, but all three affirm the same basic Reformed principles pertaining to salvation, pure worship, and holy living. One important lesson to learn when studying the adoption of confessions, like the Second Scottish Confession, is that each generation of Christian leaders must operate according to the principle of protection. Confessionalism is marked by masculinity. It requires boldness, often in the midst of very hostile forces. 
changing circumstances, and contemporary theological error always calls for a reaffirmation of cardinal biblical doctrines. As the Scots sought to protect their beloved country and gospel, they were expressing biblical stewardship. They were laboring for orthodoxy not only in their own generation, but succeeding generations. May we pray that Christian leaders today would, like the Scottish divines of the 16th century, stand up and declare not only what the church should stand for, but also what she should stand against. The Second Scottish Confession did this, and our Reformed heritage is all the more better for it. The church today cannot be afraid of negative publicity. We must not only positively affirm what we believe, but also negatively declare what we stand against. We must positively define the gospel according to scripture, while at the same time declare what the gospel is not. We must do so in language unique to our times, consistently opposing all theological error, no matter what form it takes in our contemporary world. We must do this with confidence that our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, rules supreme. He stands with us. He has signed his royal signature in blood. So long as we stand with his decrees, he stands with his people. As we seek to protect truth, he will always protect us. He has defeated his greatest enemy, and he will rule until all other enemies are placed under his feet. You've been listening to Today in Church History. To access more of these podcasts, you can visit my website, www.pastorandrewsmith.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast by visiting Apple iTunes. Until next time, this is Andrew Smith.